Welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast for January the 29th with myself, Andries Vantanar, and my colleagues Peter White, Harry Morgan, and Simon Thompson. In this episode, among other things, we discuss how General Motors' deadline to stop making internal combustion engine vehicles from 2035 vindicates Rethink Energy's electric vehicles forecast in comparison to all others. We also discuss China's 50% increase in solar manufacturing capacity over the course of the last year. The thing I've read in today's news, which we didn't cover in this issue, is that Mary Barrett uh, at General Motors has just made um, a statement that General Motors will stop making ICE cars by 2035. This completely turns on its head everybody else's forecast for electric vehicles, um, not ours, because ours assumed that would happen. And the reason we assumed that would happen is you can't take Germany, Japan, South Korea, the UK, France out of your customer list come 2035 and still be trying to sell the mice vehicles if you're General Motors. And you can't support both routes to market. You have to put all your eggs in one basket to be good at it. And General Motors clearly knew that and knew it some time ago, but because it's invested in its old EM battery and its fuel cells. But now it's actually taken all the facade away and said, yep, we're going to close down our old business by 2035. And it's it's astonishing because it, mean, it means our forecasts are right and everybody else's are wrong. Do, do you think that was a political turn? Do you think if, if Trump had, you know, Absolutely. remained president? Absolutely. This is this is a majestic picture of a swan that's gliding through the waters saying, no, I'm not bothered by anything. But underneath the water is paddling as hard as it can. <laughs> in the political direction, the direction of the political climate. She was saying only nine months ago, EVs don't see them taking off. It's going to be years and years. Don't worry about it. And then she did that deal with Nicola, which she then undid because it, it, she felt Nicola wasn't the, the right partner. And then she's she's launched this Ultium battery. And now, now she comes out with, well, Mr. Biden's in. Well, we always wanted to go EVs. So it's lucky he's in, isn't it? You know, and so... But underneath it all, the company can't resist the currents of history that were sweeping it towards electric vehicles anyway. It was a matter of when it put its full its its full weight behind that as a as a statement. I, I think that the Tesla share price is as much important in this as the share price of as uh, sorry as Biden getting getting the presidency. I think both of them were key, and she wants a bigger share price, and the only way she's going to do that is pretending or becoming Tesla. Having uh, an electric vehicle sort of portfolio has become it was almost like sort of the dot com boom in terms of seeing people sort of rise in values off the back of saying that they're going to have an electric vehicle. Obviously, General Motors have a massive pedigree in the supply chain, so they they will be able to sort of crack on and actually build cars. But I think yeah, this Biden administration coming in will just see sort of a wave of companies that were pretty reserved in terms of saying they're going to reduce their emissions or shift towards clean technology. Uh, we see a huge wave of these companies actually saying, actually, no, this was our plan all along. I think General Motors was almost sort of the Exxon Mobile of the uh, automotive industry. So if General Motors are cutting everything out by 2035, there'll be very, very few car makers that are producing any um, internal combustion engine vehicles at that point. And I think when you Absolutely. look at the forecasts Absolutely. of companies like Bloomberg that are saying, oh, there's still going to be a significant amount of emissions from the transport sector in 2050, we know that that's just simply not going to be the case because if no cars are being sold by 2035 and cars have a lifespan of 15 years, it's, it's going to be a very, a very few hangers on that are still driving diesel SUVs around at that, team, at that period of time. 
Right. And then we've done the numbers in the um, in the report that I'm bringing out. We've done some quite a few numbers on the on the transition. And, and there are there are countries, you know, like Australia and South Africa that keep trucks for 20, 25 years, you know, and, and, and they're going to be late changes. And there's going to be a residual amount of, you know, Russia is going to be a very late developer into EVs, you know, probably not even starting till almost 2040. But realistically, most of the other connected societies are going to go down that route by 2035. And you're right. And they have a 15 year lifetime for most of their, their vehicles, except that the lifetime of vehicles is actually something that people haven't really attended to. China has no scrappage system built in place. It doesn't have MOTs in the same way that Western countries do because it's too new to cars. The number of cars being taken off the road isn't yet ascertained. Within what you can roughly calculate, you get emissions drop to from, from cars to about 20% of where they are today by 2050 and probably tail off before 2060. I think that's, and that's an assumption we were working on and no one else was. We were right everyone else was wrong and that's that's worth shouting from the rooftops the other thing to bear in mind as well is that you've got obviously when countries say oh we'll reach net zero by 2050 there's a certain amount of ambiguity around whether or not that'll actually be reached we see countries miss their targets all the time when a country when a company says that they're not going to release any new vehicles after 2035 that's it they can't they won't after that period of time and they'll probably have to announce a a shift that's going to be soon and they'll probably bring that forward to 2033, maybe even 2030 by the time that they sort of continue in their actual internal transition. So um, I think once the actual sales of fossil fuel cars start to fall off, we'll see General Motors actually bring this 2035 target probably closer towards 2030. While we're on the topic, Tesla actually released their financial results this year, uh, this week. I think they were slightly disappointing, weren't they? I think their financials were a little under par. Yeah, I think from what I read, they were slightly under, underneath what the analysts have been expecting. I, but I think the sort of the lack of profit that the company has pulled in, despite the fact it was its first year of profit, they're all quite tangible things that you can point out. I mean, Elon Musk took a much bigger cut from the company uh, than he usually would. And um, in terms of sales, they've been shifting a lot more towards like the less expensive models, so the Model 3 and the Model Y. Um, so obviously there was a slight, slight dip in profit um, from I th- those models. I think they expected a billion in profit and they got 900 million. Was that it? Yeah, I think those those figures definitely sound about right. I think it was around 1.8, 1.08 billion uh, that they expected. All right, you've got to be careful here. Most companies give a guidance uh, to the analysts and talk to them in uh, meetings all the time. Tesla has a particular policy of talking to its customers first and analysts last. So often when you say it's guidance, it, it was the own, com- the own co- company's guidance that got missed. Here we're talking about analyst estimates that, that were uninformed estimates that got missed. So you, you kind of, you know, remember all these analysts, something like 75% of them were preaching don't buy Tesla. And, and it's their <laughs> estimates that we're talking about. We're not talking about the estimates of, of, of the chairman and the CEO saying, yeah, well, we, we hope to do better, but we haven't done as well. It's not it's not quite the same. So we just, we just have to temper that a little bit. And anyway, people aren't buying on, on fundamentals with Tesla. They're buying on the future. That, that will continue to happen. 
I think the only way that that's threatened is when Chinese companies solidify into four or five big exporters and they start get, selling their cars in America when GM and Ford look like they've got real EVs that actually have the same type of entertainment system, the same type of design, the same type of advantages that Tesla has. That's not going to happen in the first generation products. So, so I think there's you know several years yet where Tesla will continue to rule, rule the roost. Where will the last internal combustion engine uh, vehicle in the West be designed? Because I, I heard it costs a billion dollars to design one from the ground up. So if you're going to stop selling them. Well, you can't imagine. Let's, let's just picture this. Always picture people. So the guy in the department who designs ICE engines at General Motors is saying, why am I, why am I still doing this? I'm in a dead end job. I want to be in the other department that designs um, drivetrains, electric drivetrains. So uh, as an engineer, I'm now behind him. Well, well, I want to move. I want to move to another company. I want to move to another division. The talent drains out of parts of companies that have no future. And it drains out faster than the company wants. Young talents, you know, they'll join General Motors and say, yeah, I'm an engineer. I've got a great degree. I'm not going to work for your ice department. I'm only going to work for your EVs. Otherwise, I don't want the job. That's very similar to to that piece. I think you wrote wrote it, Harry, about BP. In this yeah, I was, I was just about to say, I think that's something that fossil fuel companies in the broader sense of the term are struggling with. And I, it's to pull in young talent into sort of these these teams to round sort of emission heavy businesses. So BP's exploration team has fallen from uh, 700 to 100 in the past few years, which partially indicates a bit of a shift away from its fossil fuel business and towards renewables. But and even since writing the article, I've sort of looked back and thought, actually, the sort of inner workings of BP have meant that even in their exploration, business they've sort of consolidated they're focusing on less sites they're applying for less permits and they're just trying to pull more out of their existing sites i think they're trying and they're trying to automate these processes so naturally with that you get a reduction in workforce and i think it's not necessarily a shift within bp that they're choosing to take it's one that they're taking as a way of the only way of keeping their oil business alive i mean they're claiming they're putting some of these people to work in their carbon capture sectors but i think realistically it isn't as much of an indicator of their internal transition as we'd like it to be yeah, um, carbon capture takes us back to Tesla with uh, Elon Musk offering 100 million for someone that could design um, a working carbon capture system. I, I figured that was clearly a joke. You know, he knows it's not possible. Therefore, his his 100 million is not a risk. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, there's there's a chance that he's just trying to offset the emissions from his um from his rocket launches. I think that's one of the things that <laughs> they're talking about doing and put, installing these sort of carbon capture systems at the um at the sites where they're launching. Um, really, that seems amazing. I would have thought that globally such a thing would be trivial. I mean, in terms of emissions. I mean, maybe it's PR. Who knows? But um, Elon Musk has always been very pro innovation. I think if if he is pro carbon capture, I mean, he's not really spoken about it much in the past. Um, then he probably is prepared to throw some money at it. you got to remember, he's um, he's not God. Um, until he studies a subject, he's not knowledgeable on it. He may not have studied carbon capture, except, you know, through the newspapers. And he's not a chemist by training. It's, it's more likely um, that this is a political statement. It's just trying to be on the right side of things. The story that I was really fascinated with is the ramping of in China of solar with the manufacturing going up. I mean, this isn't happening outside of China. You don't see 
First Solar saying we're going to double the size of our manufacturing base in America or Canadian Solar or anybody outside of China doing this. But inside China, Andres, they virtually doubled their investments and doubled down on the size of the manufacturing base. Yeah, so I've got a graph in front of me, which is not very useful for a podcast, but I can tell you what it says. It's it's over all of the four parts of the manufacturing chain. So polysilicon, wafers, cells, and then modules. Uh, they're all increasing at basically the same rate. And according to estimates by this uh, Chinese organization, SolarZoom, uh, we had between 100 gigawatts and 200 gigawatts, depending on which part you looked at, at the end of 2019. And now at the end of 2020, it's gone up to between 200 and 300 instead of 100 and 200. So it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, it is almost doubling. It'll double soon from, from 2019. And those uh, the panels have got to go somewhere. Well, I experienced this when I was on Faultline and we were looking at uh, flat TV screens and they launched another LCD flat screen factory in uh, in Korea. Then they launched another one twice the size. Then they launched another one twice the size of that. And you thought, well, when's this going to end? Immediately what it does is it drives down prices. It doesn't end. It keeps going until there's one winner. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's one of the things is uh, it looks like the biggest players are, are, are the ones that are doing this. And there's also concerns. I actually, while I was looking this up, I, I saw some analysts in China saying, sell these the uh, your stock in the mainstream manufacturing because there's going to be such overcapacity. Or at least they were worried about that. And they said you should buy into heterojunction, which will be the next big type that will be more efficient and more powerful once it sorts out its supply chain and isn't too expensive like it is now. But I think it, it might not have overcapacity. It might just all get bought and all installed. That, that, that's, so so if, if you look at any economic formula, as long as price is movable, you, you, you can sell as much as you make. So if you just simply move – and what we saw in the televisions – People change their television more often. You used to change a television every nine years. Then it was seven years. Then it was five. And, and now it's more like you know three and a half. The size of television screen went up, which at more of it. And you're saying the size of the panels go up. It's more, it's more of the sales. And you're, you're saying, and of course, we're reporting every week that the size of the installations are going up. And one of the things that we, we're going to have to get to grips with is the idea that um, to make solar very comfortable on a grid and to make it comfortable across a large geographical area, electricity has to be able to move through transmission systems back through the time zones so that primetime TV and cooking part of the evening might happen, say, in New York, but California still has uh, solar bearing fruit at that mm. same moment in time. And China, funnily enough, has that kind of distance east to west as well. I would expect us to get overkill and overbuild, as we called it in the cable industry, more than you need of both solar and wind farms because they will be able to, because they'll be so cheap that they will still be able to make money on only on being partly used because the rest of the time they'll be making hydrogen. Or they'll be selling their electricity off cheap so it can go to a battery or to hydrogen. I don't see us stopping when we've got enough. I see us stopping when we've got twice what we need because everyone will always be able to sell this energy as long as we improve transmission. Yeah, and we saw we saw in 2020 how China exceeded every estimate by a couple of gigawatts for solar and Vietnam just added 
10 gigawatts or 15 or something out of nowhere. The US succeeded targets, everything did. It feels like it's really hard to come up with a solar forecast that's too that's too high. Yes, it is, it is hard. I mean, I, I think, you know, if it's going to double um, once, you know, a couple of years later, it'll double again. A couple of years later, it'll double again. And suddenly you're dealing with 10 times the amount from a decade ago. Well, that's what happened. It's still happening. And that's what drives down the price. And it's painful for these companies. No one is going to get rich making solar panels um, this way. But whole industries will belong to a country and that may imp- create, you know, help their balance of payments and, and their exports. But I don't see these, com- these companies becoming super powerful stock market kind of leaders the way Tesla is. I see them simply absorbing a lot of volume of, of money without without that because it's a really difficult business you just have to make more and more and more and more and then when one factory is stripped down because that generation is no longer made you've got to strip it down quickly and, and make it make a different type of solar like heterojunction or perovskite yeah they're, they're being pressured to constantly change their manufacturing so that's a huge price uh, you know huge drain of money you design it so it's easier to change yeah, you know, you make it. You you start taking that into account because it gives you an advantage. Yeah, I mean, I I, I wouldn't buy stock in a solar panel company, but I'm very glad it's going on because it's changing the price point at which solar is. There will be a moment in time when three companies hold sway and they all agree to stop reducing the price of solar. That's not for 20 years. 